Welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. Okay, welcome back to another edition of Coffee and Conservation, and I'm here with my friend, colleague, mentor, Dr. Daryl Jones, who's a professor over in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture here at Mississippi State University. Thank you for coming today. Oh, my pleasure. I yeah. miss it. We are glad, glad to have you, um, and we're talking conservation, which right. you know a, a fair bit about. Is a that right? A bit about, maybe. Okay, so how long have you been in, that, in the department? Oh, let's see, Beth. Uh, I guess going on 15 years at this stint as a professor and um, was, was involved with the department working on my doctorate and then... Did you do your doctorate? In I actually did my, uh, did my Ph.D. in environmental policy and economics, but I, I kind of had a specialization in wildlife and forestry, so did some of my training. That's cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, you didn't know that? I, didn't, I guess I should have assumed it was maybe in environment and economics, but I guess I didn't know that. I'm one of those, not to get off on another rabbit no, chase do here. No, <laughs> um, But I'm an example of you never know what you're going to be when you grow up. I still don't know, yet, so it's good to know I'm yeah, not the I'm, only I'm one. Glad, right. You're, you're not the only one. But I was a, uh, and I guess this goes out to maybe some of the folks thinking about changing what they do. Mm-hmm. But um, my daddy was an agribanker. Oh, and really? every little boy, as you know, every little boy wants to do what his daddy wants to be his daddy. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was a banker for mm-hmm. seven years here in Starkville. So I, I guess I did know you were a banker. I was a banker. And so then, um, and I came to Mississippi State actually in plant pathology so at the college of agriculture okay and then got a master's in business so i was kind of set up to go more the agribusiness kind mm-hmm. of route and about the time and things have a way of working out positively mm-hmm. you know when you don't push at the wall too hard you know if you know what i mean but um the ag business market was kind of in a downturn mm-hmm. cycle at that time so i reevaluated and became a banker and I enjoyed that quite a bit because um, it taught me kind of street smart, so to speak, in finance and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided to go back, though. I didn't want to do that forever. And banks were consolidating right and left. And mm-hmm. it was kind of a traumatic time for uh, financial institutions. So I wanted to kind of go back in environmental sciences. So um, I quit the bank and got a master's in Virginia in oceanography marine science. Had you always been I, interested in marine always science? Always been interested okay. in that. Always been interested in that. And, um, you know, it was kind of a boy when Jacques Cousteau was all of that. Scuba, mm-hmm. you know, scuba dived all the time. Really oh, loved cool. that. Still do. Yeah. Just love it. So I uh, went to Old Dominion University, biological oceanography, and then went to, uh, when I got done with that, I was thinking about doing a PhD in that, but it was an opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. and work for the EPA. Oh. So Environmental Protection Agency. So you worked for EPA? I worked for EPA in their wetlands division. So I came on as a fellow fellow there, worked there for about a couple years on and off, and then came back to, uh, my dad was sick, was Mm -hmm. uh, dying of heart disease. And so I wanted to come back home. That was probably the real reason for me coming back to me. And I eventually wanted to come back home anyway. Yeah. But came back here and started a PhD about that time, but did it in environmental Environmental policy and economics and here at state. 
here at state. Okay. And then was the coastal zone manager for the yeah. state of Mississippi. I knew you worked for MDMR. I just MDMR. didn't know you worked for EPA. MDR, and, and that's where it gave me my, my gray hair with all the wetlands <laughs> permitting decisions. You know, people don't, like Paperwork. To be, people, people don't like to be told no. <laughs> I suppose. I suppose that's a tough position to be in when you're used to being a banker. And uh, banks can be tough, too, because you tell yeah. people no, too. But th- so then came back on faculty here. So kind of went around, I say all that to come around the block to say, done different things, and it kind of works well with what I do as you're aware, with natural resource enterprise, Yeah, a lot of different perspectives, viewpoints, like approaches to conservation kind of, and seeing, you know, because I know we'll probably get into it as we discuss the history of conservation in the U.S., which is what we were planning on talking about today. Um, But, man, then it's culminated into some great and uh, some great policy, mm-hmm. but a lot of intricacies in there that you right. see right. at the agency right. kind of level of, right. of where wires can get crossed and, and right. how hard it is to get it from paper policy mm-hmm. to on mm-hmm. the ground. It's one thing, Beth, I'll say this. Um, and of course, I was a banker, son of the South, so to speak. I'm from Warren County, born and raised in Vicksburg, grew up in rural Mississippi, mm-hmm. uh, ended up going. As, a, as I just mentioned to EPA, working in Washington, D.C. Now I've come back and I work a lot with landowners. You know, we're all people, yep. and you'd be surprised. They all think very similarly, mm-hmm. those different groups, but unfortunately with some of our politics, we kind of uh, tend to polarize into various camps. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, there are difference of, differences of opinions, but the older I get, the more I see that people are a whole lot alike. Oh, and there's so similar. less differences than there are similarities. So I think if we can work on that ladder, I think we're better off in the Yeah, world. yes, that's, that's such a good point. Um, and I see that all the time, too. You know, and right, people right. wear certain hats, right. yet all of us wear so many. Like, you know, exactly. just we, we can switch them out when we want to, but sometimes right. you just right. That's right. get stuck in it anyway. That's right. That's right. But I, I want to tell you all that. I to know. Say, you know. And, and it's important for our listeners to hear that. So, so then when we're getting into these topics, then they can say, okay, he, he, you know, here's where these perspectives are coming right. from. Right. So um, I'm an oddball, I guess you could say. So, so uh, my my perspectives might be different. But a fun <laughs> a, a fun career so far yeah, in a lot of different I ways. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I hope my career looks like that no, <laughs> no, later down the road. You'll be more successful than you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> So, needless to say, you're pretty knowledgeable about conservation and the history of conservation. Um, and I loved, and I, and I picked up on that, actually, when we were in Shannon's defense, we're on, a, we're on a grad student committee together. Right, right. And y'all were talking about the history right. of conservation. Right. And, you know, a lot of us read about history, but how far do we go back? Right. How long do we link it in? And right. when we learn about history, it's just kind of in this, like, bubble of U.S. history, world history. Not right. Nec- and actually, if it's a, applied towards a topic... Mm-hmm. Right. It's way more interesting. It is. It <laughs> so is. then, when you get into the history of conservation, um, especially in the U.S., mm-hmm. because we're a developed nation, but we're a really young nation Very too. Young. So we kind of have this weird melding of right. fast development, right. fast policy development, right. that kind of converge into a lot of interesting discussions about environmental right. conservation. And we have a, you know, as you you know very well, uh, the United States is such a large landmass, mm-hmm. so we have a different way of looking at it as compared to a smaller, let's say, a European country. That's a good point, too. 
Yeah, so, it's massive um, with so many mm-hmm. different ecosystems just right. in the, the one. Right. Well, if you kind of ask in Hawaii, too. Right. <laughs> it's right. even more complicated. Right. And, and that's, I think that has a tendency in the history that we'll talk about. That's, that's had a tendency to kind of uh, nurture our policy and the way we decide on things. And we, we have, I think Americans have a different way of looking at some of the conservation history mm-hmm. and our objectives in conservation than, than other places in the world. But at the same time, I think we've been the model in many respects. Yeah, absolutely. And so since I didn't know quite as much about it as you, I've been doing, I've been doing a little research. <laughs> I wouldn't say a ton, but it, it has opened my eyes to wanting to do more research, yeah. in fact. Um, and and all these things that you, point, that you mentioned and I mentioned that are unique about the U.S. that kind of culminate in our conservation history. Mm-hmm. But that influence comes from actually other countries, especially mm-hmm. Europe. Yes. Um, as we've, uh, you know, moved over from, Very much from so. Europe. And, and they kind of started that's conservation right. there. That's right. Um, and that's as early as the 1850s to 1920s, mm-hmm. which that's they right. call the conservation movement. Very which most recent. people don't even, you know, some people at least before I was doing more research, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the reading I've done in conservation movements more geared at the 60s, 70s era, right. Right. not necessarily the 1850s right. to 1920s right. era. Right, right. Which, it, it, you know, is just so interesting. And, and the folks that come out of that era are Thoreau and mm-hmm. Teddy Roosevelt before That's he right. was president. That's right. As they taught our nation about the importance uh, in being in mm-hmm. the business. Mm-hmm of protecting wildlands, wildlife. Mm-hmm. Um, and recreation, and too. Incredible. You know, think right. about our national parks. You know, we're, we're, other places have wildlife preserves and national parks. But you look at our parks system here as one of the most successful that the world has. Mm-hmm. And Teddy Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, all the, some of our past presidents, all the way up to present times. Bill Clinton did a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. Obama has done a lot, did a lot. Uh, to put areas through the Antiquities Act and through park declarations to put these wild lands into a conservation, uh, protect them so the public can, can see them and, and get away from their busy lives to go to a park. Right. Um, and and see, see the, the beauty of America, which we have so much. Uh, we have some very unique, as you know, um, environments and should protect them. But, you know, talking about the history... Um, and this only applies for some of us, probably the European heritage, but you mentioned that some of the earlier records, particularly from England, you know, where the king and the lords and the, the nobles, particularly the king, King George, he, he owned all the land and what he did, he had possession of all of it, could use wildlife on, on it, use the natural resources base on it, and through... Um, common people wanting more of their share, particularly landowners wanting to be able to use their own resources. Um, some changes occurred in England like the Magna Carta that was actually diminished the, the, the control of the king over all the land. And so that was some of our history there in the United States because those common people, of course, in England per se is what we're talking about, they fled the, the potato famine and all of that. Mm-hmm. Didn't have anywhere to live. Didn't have it, so they came to America to have a new start. So the last thing, quote unquote, Americans wanted was to deal with a king that controlled everything. So hence, that was a lot of our earlier pattern of thinking toward natural resources and utilization and land management 
was that we're going to spread this out, and particularly that landowners control that. So hence why still today, as you well know better than me, private landowners have control of a lot of the activities and use of their properties. And so that's that's steeped in and seeped into our Constitution. Absolutely. Primarily from the Magna Carta and some other European documents. So hence we apple doesn't fall far from the tree, I guess, you know. So that that that's kind of interesting how that's that happened. It is interesting and it's one of those important important points to make about the evolution of our conser- of conservation in the US and and yes, how that kind of liberty, land yeah. ownership, freedom to, 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 right. to do what we want on our land is kind of ingrained yes. in, in much of us. And we do have so much public land. We do. But mostly in the West. Right. You know, so right. that's not the entire country. Because we right. know very well here in the Southeast, it's mostly privately owned. Yeah. So if we want to do large-scale conservation then which is why you and I both work with landowners <laughs> you have to you have to work with landowners mm-hmm. to do that because like you said they own the land yeah and you think about it when we um, from Europe anyway some of the first it makes kind of common sense to me some of the first settlements were in Virginia on the east coast on the Atlantic coast so the west was unknown there was some settlement settlements there but not much that hadn't been discovered as much so the population centers were east of the Mississippi hence the West were opportunities with lots of land to do some conservation, making making national parks and mm-hmm. and 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 these areas that are protected. So um, at that time, there was more land for that as compared to the East, where you had more of the population centers. So. Mm-hmm. That's a good point too. That which is why it would be ha- have been conserved out there in the yeah, first place. Yeah, maybe so. And some too. And not to get off, I don't mean to get political ideology at all on this, but you know you have. Um, there's a mentality in the West, and not for everybody, but particularly, I think, among some landowners that the federal government has a tendency in the past by taking these properties, uh, almost being land grabbers, you know, oh, so. Absolutely. So that, and that's, that's um, and had to be taken per se to make that national park, but mm-hmm. that's some, there's some sensitivity there. Uh, particularly even more so in the West. We don't have that. as much of that in the East because it's more, as you said, privately owned mm-hmm. with some inholdings of public lands. But I remember where I live is in Winston County, Beth, and um, I wasn't alive then, but the property I live on was, is, a, is, a, is a piece of private property right off the Knoxby, Sam Hamilton Knoxby Wildlife Refuge. And that refuge, again, you and I weren't alive, but when the the uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service put refuges together. Of course, they had to buy that land from private private landowners, which down there in Winston County, Knoxville County, they did. My granddad decided not to sell. He was living on the land. He goes, no, I'm not going to sell it. But a lot of people did because oh, they could course. sell the land, get a little bit of money, and then move into town. Uh, and some did that, but my granddad decided not to. And I'm glad he did because that's where I, where I live. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that's how public lands are put together. They they buy the property, which you know, is back. most people a, a good deal, especially if they need the money oh, at yeah. the time. And back then, in the in the you know early 1900s, people didn't have a lot of money, mm-hmm. so that's probably the best money they've ever. You know, they didn't mind selling, but but um, it's an interesting concept. They've got to put those public lands together some some kind of way. But right. I'm glad we have those. But I'm also, as you know, glad we have private lands as well because. Some of the best conservation practices, I think, are on private lands where 
landowners have a conservation ethic and can look at ways of making that help their improve the value of their properties. So. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's constraints with getting that that uh, kind of sound management and conservation conservation ethic over a large enough area of land as you have different landowners next to each other right that's a challenge Mm -hmm. but i tell you what i would have loved to been alive during that era from the 1950s to the 1920s when when these gentlemen especially um were selling this sentiment and selling it as a business Mm -hmm. um that that america should be in the business of conservation Mm -hmm. um because i think that makes sense to a lot of people you know when you have that divergence not and again Mm -hmm. not to go into political ideology Mm -hmm. but when when you have folks that hear words like conservative versus kind of progressive Mm -hmm. a bit Mm -hmm. we start people kind of shut their ears off yeah and and i so strongly feel that conservation is like dead on in the middle mm-hmm. for everyone it is right. for everyone right um, right <laughs> and there's so much good that can come out of it because it does you know mm-hmm. it has all that environmental protection that right. supports not only raw materials mm-hmm. which support economy right um but then it yeah it has all of the the other things that um most conservationists think of because a lot of mm-hmm. folks think of hunting and fishing when right. they think conservation right too right which There's is lots. kind of interesting. And in a, in a fairly recent survey, to kind of get to your point, I think, um, with a wildlife and fisheries-based background and the value of the land, what we found in recent surveys with taking looking at bank loans, that particularly the banks finance people buying land for recreation or other re- for timber, agricultural use, or just having their own piece slice of rural America, um, but but the recreation that you mentioned, wildlife and fisheries-based recreation, we found in, in our most recent survey, it's about a third of the value of the land. So that, in my estimation, that will only increase in time. Mm-hmm. So to do conservation adds value to the land. Mm-hmm. And, if, and we've seen that when those people that sell those properties, it's worth more. You know, it ends, ends up being a third of the value is dealing with conservation for wildlife because mm-hmm. I can then buy as a good population of eastern wild turkey on. I could turkey hunt. we got ponds to fish in. I can build a cabin, sit on the back, and drink coffee and look and watch the birds fly into the mm-hmm. lake. You know, all that brings value, and we see that. And as we become more, you know, I know we have a lot of rural land. We're talking about that. But as we become more urbanized, uh, I mean, don't be in Atlanta at 5 o'clock because they'll run out, run over you trying to get out of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So these rural areas are really nice nuggets uh, to keep and are more valuable over time. And so landowners, I think, are figuring that out. So they can do conservation practices. I know you do a lot with mm-hmm. them. Um, and that punchline, that adds value to their property, and they like that. And they know that. Yeah, that is a good point. I didn't want you to give away all your secrets because when we get you back on the show here, we're going to be talking about natural resource or the yeah the natural resource enterprises that you work on. Um, I wanted to throw one more question at you, sure. kind of sure. pick your brain about it, because sure. we talked about that early history uh, mm-hmm. and how that you know kind of unfolds into conservation in the U.S. But that era in the '60s and '70s is kind mm-hmm. of, it changes. Mm-hmm. Then it changes how people perceive conservation, mm-hmm. and it changes uh, what land, land, how landowners perceive different yeah. types of conservation or environmental protection because right. 
We've got so much more rapid development, right. a little bit more influence on the environment. Right. And even though we've get more, we get more conservation programs, we get more policy out of it that supports conservation, regulation comes in alongside a little, a little more strongly. So that kind of switches in our history. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe that's the divergent point of like two viewpoints on conservation. I want to pick your brain on that yeah. and see what you think, uh, how that era changes sure. from from you know, what seems so beautiful in the mm-hmm. 1950s or 1850s mm-hmm. to 1920s. And yeah. Then yeah. Well, one of the things, and, and uh, hopefully, hopefully this won't offend anyone, but we've had a history it's too. It's impossible not to offend right, anybody. Right. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a supporter of being able to utilize all the resources on your property, but some of our history has kind of been the fox in the hen house. Mm-hmm. The we didn't have good controls on how much we we were losing. For example, we've lost well over half of our functioning wetlands in the United States. And I've heard people say, what good is that old boggy ground out Mm -hmm. there anyway? I said, Mm -hmm. well, you know, let's start rattling off all the, you know, wildlife fisheries habitats, groundwater recharge. Water quality improvement. Water quality, erosion control, Mm -hmm. storm abatement from hurricanes. I mean, it just. Reduced flood risk. Just Couldn't we use it right now? Pick a, right, year. we could definitely <laughs> use it right now. So we've had, I think, uh, because we have lost some of these imperiled habitats, there was, unfortunately, someone had to take control of the wholesale loss. And some of that probably, Beth, and I'll just guesstimate, was out of ignorance. We didn't know we were doing this mm-hmm. damage. Maybe some we did. Mm-hmm. But all of our ag, a lot of our ag, good agricultural land, those were at one, some, one, to one point they were functioning prairies and wetlands. Mm-hmm. You look at all the Delta counties in, in the Mississippi, it was all a big wetland forest, bottomland hardwood mm-hmm. system at one time. And the timber was, was cut and windrowed and burned and we drained it so we could farm it. And hence it's flooded again now. But I say that to say there were s- some regulations that had to come about to kind of get a tourniquet on the on the bleeding offset, of yeah. offset it mm-hmm. and try to limit it and then put back mitigation, which means just put back some in the wetland case of wetlands, put back some of these functional wetlands somewhere else within that watershed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with the use use we have to have it to grow food, understand. But with pesticides, with uh, Rachel Carlson's Silent Spring. We lost so much, so much of our insect diversity, which pollinate our crops, pollinate all plants, um, and so we started having some those in the '60s. All that came about in the environmental movement to try to protect what we have left, and so and some of the reg- and I worked in the wetland regulatory and beat, been beat all up around the head and shoulders mm-hmm. by that on the coastal coastal zone of Mississippi, particularly yeah, making a lot some of those that, decisions. A lot of that probably fell kind of in concert with this uh, kind of explosion in scientific technologies, too, right. so we could also measure those things a That's lot right. better. That's right. Um, just unfortunately or fortunately, I mean, because the better you understand what you have, the right. better you can manage it. Right. So it's, it's maybe, yeah. um, you know... Uh, a good thing that right. we can continue to right. learn more and more about the right. impact so we can that's right. better manage for these offsets. Just that's I mean, right. exactly how you would in your own personal budget at home. The yeah. more you spend, the more you save. And yeah, so it's that's just right. and you can't the balance throw the, of it. You know, can't not too much cliche, but can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you you gotta have some protection and conservation there to kinda hold what you got because these, you know, clean as you just clean water, wildlife 
panaged shrimp. You'd start rattling off that it really has economic value, oh, so yeah. we got to protect that. So landowners still, in my mind, have, a, have, a, have the authority and the constitutional right to use their property. At the same time, we have to have some national and state controls on some of these imperiled areas so we can still maintain the the frat fabric of the framework there so the environment stays together. Because this is my viewpoint, you know, uh, good conservation makes economic sense. Absolutely. The environment Absolutely. is not separate from the economy. Mm-hmm. We have a foundation. good environment, we have a good economy. Mm-hmm. So the two are not adversaries, they're together, they're married. And mm-hmm. so I think that's that needs to be our approach. And it's, I, th- I think is, uh, we probably just need we're to come there. back to that. Yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> I'm going to end on that point because that is fantastic. And eventually here, we're going to shift back to, vi- to business, but I'm going to keep our listeners just hanging on until the next show. Thank you for coming on. As always, you can find more information on our website or in the show notes after the show. And we always want to acknowledge and thank our primary sponsor, the Mississippi Natural Resources Conservation Service. Thanks for joining us for Coffee and Conservation. To find out more about the topics discussed, visit the REACH website at reach.msstate.edu or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at extension.msstate.edu.